Blog Talk Radio. Good morning, listeners. You have reached the voices of the Cannabis Wars radio show, where we bring you the news straight from the front line, right straight from the mouths of the prisoners, recently released prisoners, um, family members, advocates, Right from anybody who has a voice to share with the with the with the community, um, this this is an award-winning show. We're very proud to say that you know we've got an award for this show from the Can Do Foundation, which is the Amy Povis Povis group, and um, we're recognized through her group as has gotten an award. So we wouldn't get that award if it wasn't for our POWs, our people who listen to us. Um, the other host of this show, Eugene Fisher, who has served 25 years in prison for a plant and is here today to host the show. Um, also, our volunteers, um, our producer, especially Mindy Griffith, who produces the show, who um, organizes our thoughts and keeps our keeps us straight and, and makes sure this show is going right. Um, we also have Becca Nichols, who volunteers and helps screen calls. Um, we also have uh, CCHI who gives us this platform and this place to be able to voice our voice our, our what's going on. Um, and Eugene Fisher, I just want to say, you guys, here's Eugene Fisher. Good morning, Eugene. Good morning. Good morning, Christian. Good morning, listeners. Good morning, Mindy. Well, it's good. We're good to be on another show. It seems like uh, it's like the height of the week for me every time we have our program on Sunday. It really is important and uh, I know we we'll reach out and do a lot of thing, good things, so I'm happy. I'm happy to be here today. Christian, okay, well, tell you, us a little have... bit about what you did this week. Well, I will, but let me first tell you guys what we got going on on the show today. We are having an amazing show. Um, anytime about nine oh five, anytime Kevin Saunders will be calling in, and he's a defendant from California, and he was he was scheduled to go to trial tomorrow, but his trial date got changed. And it's not going to be till March, but he's going to come on our show and, and talk to us about his charges and what's going on in his case and how we can help him. And then we're going to hear, of course, oh, my gosh, one, one of my favorites, uh, Craig Cecil, who is serving a life sentence in prison, who risks going on lockdown just to call into our show every week. Um, he has missed a couple shows this month because the federal government was forcing him to work on Sundays because due to the Super Bowl. However, I believe he's back on his regular work schedule and will be calling in today. Then after George or Craig Cecil, we're going to hear from George Monterano. George Monterano is Eugene Fisher's one of his bestest friends in the world. Um, they met each other in prison, serving for serving time for the plant. And George, uh, he spent 33 years in there, and he wrote many books, uh, poems. Um, his big inspiration from behind bars, as well as Eugene Fisher was too. But guess what, you guys? George Monterano just got released a couple months ago. And so he has a weekly segment on our show where he comes on, he reads poems, he talks about what's going on in his life. It's just really cool to hear from him, so you don't want to miss George. Um, and then at 10 o'clock, we're going to have Debbie Breschler come on, Je- Debbie Breschler Mock come on, and she is a, a defendant up here in Washington. Those of you who read the Northwest Leaf probably know all about Debbie, um, but if you don't read the Northwest Leaf or check out Facebook, Debbie is a defendant um, in Washington who... Um, actually had her kids, um, was almost taken from her, and um, it was kind of crazy. In fact, they were taken from her, and court support helped her get her kids back, and then the federal government 
picked up their charges, not just hers, but Josh's charges as well. They're a couple. Picked up Josh's Josh Mock's charges as well. And they were facing uh, quite a bit of time in jail, but um, they got lots of letters and lots of court support, and the federal judge did not send them to jail. So we're going to talk about Debbie and what her freedom feels like uh, for about 15 minutes. About 10.15, Martin Nickerson, who is one of the Bellingham Three, he was the owner of Northern Cross Collective, and he is facing charges up to 30 years for the last four years. We, we had him on our show a couple of days, a couple of weeks ago. But we're going to get just a little bit deeper into Martin and what it feels like to be free. And we're also going to hear he has a current tax case where the federal government is trying to tax him for the medicine, which, you know, we'll let Martin talk more about that um, coming up. But you'll hear from him, and we'll hear an update from Terry, Terry Miller about her husband's Jason, who's in prison right now. And we'll do a little open mic. Um, I'm, we'll hear from Tom Corby. Um, he's a human solution leader in Northern California. Find out what's going up in Northern California. So you guys stay tuned. We have a huge show. Now, Eugene, your question was yesterday. Canacon. Um, Canacon. It was so cool. Um, well, on Thursday, on Friday, I was scheduled to be a speaker on a panel at Canacon on, thir- on, fr- on Saturday. I thought it was Saturday, but the last minute Friday morning, I found out it was Friday and not Saturday. And so I rushed out to Canacon, made it just in time to speak on the panel. And I was so nervous because I had never been spoken, spoke on a panel before. And I was on a panel with some very, very, very influential women. Uh, Kat Jeter, Sharon Whitson um, are just a couple of them. And I was up there and I was really nervous because I was standing next to these, like, really – top-notch women and I didn't know you know I'd never been on a panel so I was just so nervous but as soon as it got started um, they they went through and they all introduced each other and said what they did for the movement what type of activists they were and then when it got to me we all had a couple minutes to talk you know I talked about my dad and then we talked I talked about the prisoners and I did all kinds of stuff and so um I immediately wasn't scared no more, and I felt so empowered being up there with those women, and I just I just had a great time, and everybody listened. The, the whole entire um, audience was full there that I counted. So 70 people at Canacon learned about our prisoners, and we had people coming up to us afterwards asking asking us questions, and everybody were asking about our prisoners, and um, it was it was really cool. And then so I left that day, and then yesterday we had some letters. And Tony, she's one of the voices of the cannabis store who loves to get letters signed. She she came out um, with me to get some letters signed. But Canacon, um, we were going to have a booth there, but something happened, and their fire marshals came and rearranged it, and they didn't get as many booths as they were hoping, and then they were sold out. So the Seattle Hemp Fest said, come, come to our booth and get your letters signed. So we went to their booth, and um, we didn't get a ton of letters signed, but we got, we got quite a few signed, and... Um, it was a really good day, though, because we had I had friends from Facebook that were popping up that were knowing about our prisoners and that were coming to the booth and saying hi. So I just want to say hi to all the Facebook friends that I met yesterday at Canacon. It's really cool to see you guys in person um, and to feel, you know, say what you have to say and hear it in person over, as far as over the Internet. So I just want to, um, if you're listening to the show and I met you yesterday at Canacon, I thank you for that, too. But, um, yeah, it was an awesome day at Canacon. I really loved it. Thanks for asking. Well, well that, that sounds like it was an exciting time. And uh, uh, I guess uh, uh, 
we put we got to put you in kind of an, almost a celebrity position now, Christian. Well, I didn't feel like a celebrity, Eugene. I just felt like like um, a voice from the cannabis war because people were listening. People were listening to the things that I was saying, and so I felt it felt really good to be able to deliver that voice to the people, and they liked well, it. So, uh, yeah. It felt good to me. It was cool. I think our listeners should know today's uh, show is called Trials and Tribulations. And you you can tell from the title, it's it's about the the difficulties we have in life. And, of course, since this program is focused on the uh, war against uh, marijuana, it's concerning the, uh, the trials involved and tribulations involved in the people who are uh, prosecuted and so on but i the other the other half of that saying christian is something that people should know it's trials and tribulations and great expectations and oh, okay. i think i think that the the significance is through the trials through the hard parts in life can also come a change of life and and out of that grow expectations for renewal and that's kind of what we promote isn't it I think so yeah I think I think I think I agree with you Eugene yes but um, yeah, you know, speaking of files we've got our first guest on the line Kevin Saunders okay let's talk to Kevin okay we're going to find out about the trials and tribulations that Kevin is going through. Good morning, Kevin. How are you doing? Uh, good morning. Uh, thank you for having me on. Um, well, well what our, I wanted to mention. Our is, pleasure. Well, we're going to have you on until Craig Cecil calls in, so we might be cut off at about nine twenty-five, nine thirty. But as soon as he calls, we're going to um, we're going to go to his call because he'll be calling from prison. But I just want to oh. let you know in case we're or something, we got to. When he calls, well, that's, a, that's definitely a priority call because I remember uh, during my short 46 days in the Monterey County Jail, which is I'm not trying to compare to the people in uh, long, long-term sentences, life sentences, but the the disassociation that you feel and the, the, just the sadness and the emptiness is. Um, is really hard to impart to somebody who hasn't had that experience. And I just know that phone calls, whether you are able to reach somebody in the outside world or a visit or um, can, can mean everything because uh, all you have in there is your dignity. And um, it's, it's so hard because of the, you know, the racial dynamics and the, the false machismo and in, in jail and, and, and there's really no time at all to ever collect your thoughts or your sanity or wonder why this is happening to you and other people. And um, it's just a tremendous um, uh, burden to, to keep it all together. And, you know, I don't have kids um, and I'm not married, so I can only imagine what, what it would be like for, for mothers, especially with their, their children, but dads too. And, um, and then of course for, um, the moms and the sisters and the girlfriends and the boyfriends is uh, probably the the one thing that's the least unspoken and Kristen probably knows as good as anybody and um, 
what that can mean, you know, when you're away from, from your loved ones and, you know, time isn't guaranteed. You know, my mom turned 70 and um, she's the only person I have left. And, you know, it's, it's a tremendous uh, burden to think that, you know, I, I did something that's going to cause her to be alone. So, so Kevin, you brought, that's what I'm wondering. Like you were in there for six days and it clearly had a huge effect on your life. Now you're going to trial. How much time are you facing? And, you know, what do you think? I mean, are you scared that you might have to go to go to prison for a plant? No, I'm actually not afraid I'm going to prison. Um, the way California is structured with Prop 47, is, uh, people will, will spend their time now in county jail, sometimes up to three years. It used to be the, the one-year uh, misdemeanor, you know, oh. You serve in county, and then, you know, you go to state prison if you're a felon. Prop 47 has changed all that in realignment. So you have essentially people doing their time in county jail. And most people know, and it was told to me by, you know, the the hitters in the heart, you know, the the, the shot callers there, that they'd much rather be in state prison than county jail. You have no uh, classes. There's no resource. The food is horrible. Uh, it, It County jail, from what I heard, especially Sea Wing, Monterey County, which is Salinas. I mean, this is the, probably the one. I mean, it, it, it is the gang war central, probably in California, or, you know, probably anybody's in estimation. It's the uh, murder capital per capita, and and deaths are are are, are daily, and um, some even go unreported. It's such a common occurrence. Well, the jail is also next to Soledad, so you have a really a lot of bad stuff going around in Monterey County. We also have a very punitive district attorney who was the one that filed the charges on me. Essentially, it was a political hit, a assassination, really. And uh, and it county jail is such a horrible place that I know that I'm going to do my time there. So the DA came to me, uh, got wobbly knees right before pretrial conference. My trial was supposed to start on February 22nd, so it would actually be starting tomorrow. Um, they didn't have all the discovery, and they balked at our planned expert witness list. So they came to my attorney, and they made an offer, actually, of 30 days possession, even though I was arrested for sales or trafficking. They want me to plead to possession, 30 days probation. And we told them essentially to shove it. I said, you know, I'm going to – it's not – you're not putting me on trial. I'm putting you on trial. I'm putting the system on trial. <laughs> you, you guys, you rolled the dice on me. Like I asked, I said, you know, you arrest me. I mean, there will be blowback. And the blowback is going to come in the form of Facebook posts on their uh, calls to their um, uh, secretaries and, and uh, assistant district attorneys, the media, letters to the editor, that the tide has changed. So, so if they want to charge a CBD collective who was literally at the tip of the spear calling for regulation, more than MRSA, more than HOMA, I mean, we were really five years ago calling for serious uh, regulation just to get our foot in the door. And what did they do? They rolled the dice. They arrested me. I was expelled from law school. You know, law students who I were who had lower grades than me for the three years are now practicing attorneys, DAs. You know, with their ads in the paper, it's you know, it's it's uh, it, that's probably the worst worst part. I was headed straight into the public defender's office, so 
it's a you know it's a, you know I, I hope I can finish. Uh, part of my arrest was because part of my expulsion had to do with the the arrest that came down uh, three weeks before. So, not to answer your question. Sorry, it took so long to explain it, but um, I'm not super concerned about being in jail. I don't think that the optics would allow them to do that, especially every month. We've almost, I think, hit the tipping point. That zeitgeist. I don't know if it's going to be a a day, a week, a month, or a year. I think to be safe, I would say it's going to be 2016, and I think it's probably going to be in spring when people start planting and really getting into it again and have their feet, you know, hands in the dirt. And I, I, I think we're we're there at that tipping point. So every month that they put back my trial, it's just another right. month that we have to advocate on Facebook through letters to the editor, with the billboards for jury nullification. We can just get one person. Just one person, and you know we've we're, we're, we have jury consultants. We're we're studying up on our voir dire. We know the signs to look for 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 potential jurors. You know, hemp smell like patchouli. Are they? In my opinion, uh, I, I would look at the shoes. I would I would look at the the, the age. I would even go far even to look at ethnicity. I, I I don't think I want an old white guy. I don't think I want an older black woman who goes to church because those I'm, – yeah, I'm rolling the dice here. I'm, I'm cheering using a jury trial. Right. We are trying to do everything, everything to keep me out of jail. And so they want I, to I have me – So I to say, while we're, while we're talking about the jury nullification, I just want to make it very clear to our listeners who are listening, what, what, what Kevin is talking about, he's talking about one of the jurors um, – Knowing their jury rights, knowing that they're not there not necessarily to judge if the law has been broken, but they're there to actually judge the law. And if they think that putting somebody in prison for nonviolent crime is a bad law, they can say not guilty, and they cannot be punished for their verdict. And that's one thing that he's talking about is that odds are kind of stacked against them in the way that people don't know about their jury rights. However, all it takes is one, and Kevin's saying we're in a – in a time right now, in an era where people don't want to say guilty, and so they're starting to know what's going on, and all it's going to take, Kevin, is one. And I, I believe, especially in California right now, that this is a nice place to do that at, say not guilty. I, I, I totally agree. There, um, there is one potential drawback to a of what you just said about jury notification, and that is that people are not inclined to believe that the police lie. They do not want to believe that they are unsafe. They want to believe in this construct. So in California, I was not even, even in California, not given a Prop 215 defense because it is sales. It was felony sales. So essentially, and we're not, we can't do entrapment because I put myself into the stream of commerce with, you know, my, my aims and, you know, uh, um, uh, we advertise a little bit, kind of known for that. And we, uh, so I put myself out there so it couldn't be entrapment. So the only defense that was left to us, ma'am, was literally police misconduct. So we are having to convince a jury, and again, 12 people, and that is why it's important to use, I think, psychology, sociology, technology, 
I mean, Facebook, I believe, is is more about sociology and psychology than, than than technology. And Facebook is the platform right now. People don't even use email anymore. People aren't doing MySpace anymore. Right. It is Facebook, whether you like it or not. And what we, I mean, the only reason oh. I know you is Facebook. The only reason I know Mindy is Facebook. The only reason I know the yeah. activists that I know is Facebook. I'm looking at Facebook right now, and I see a post that you just made that says, Elect Mayor Kevin P. Saunders. What's that about? Are you running for mayor? I am. I am. And it's wow. literally all dependent. And that's another aspect to this case that what people don't understand is that this, again, was a political hit. This wasn't me down in Chinatown selling eights or grams. I mean, this was a orchestrated hit by the DEA, the FBI, which is odd, and the Homeland Security led by the Monterey Prevent, and that acronym stands for Peninsula Regional Violent Narcotics Task Force. Well, I am neither engaging in narcotics nor am I violent, nor do I need a task force on me. So when I was, when I was arrested, my bail was $1.5 million. $1.5 million. I was arrested for 52.6 grams grams of CBD. I checked every ID. I did everything right. What they really wanted to do, what the ultimate thing is, is to get into your computers and get into your cell phones, get into yep. your oil so that they can charge you for felony oil sales, which is in that gray area. Then, of course, they want to hit you in the wallet. So they, they thought, you seize my assets, you seize my homes, you seize my cars, you seize my business. My business went put 50 percent overnight. People don't want to touch you. People don't want to pay up on accounts. Essentially, Noni and I were, were ruined. It's had devastating effects on our relationship. We're no longer together. I mean, we we planned on opening a civil rights law firm together. It's just what to do is divide, conquer, divide, conquer. So this district attorney chose, I think, unwisely to do this in. 2014. I was ill-prepared in 2014. We had lack of funding. My, my visibility wasn't, is, is, is now the zeitgeist hasn't hit, hadn't hit yet in 2014. We also had a potential statewide campaign as a backdrop, essentially doing my free media for me while a national conversation on cannabis is taking place. So they come across, they arrest me. It's put in the papers. It's, it doesn't go over well. People, people smell a rat. So they take me off the ballot on a very arcane law that says that you have to be a resident of the city of which you are running for for 90 days prior to the election. Well, 90 days prior to the election, Kristen, I was in the Salinas jail. I was in the Monterey County jail in Salinas, which is 15 miles away from Marina, which is the city I was running for mayor for. So therefore, since I'm a resident of Salinas, even though I was put there against my will in handcuffs and on $1.5 million bail, which took me 27 days to come up with, Obviously, I mean, eight percent of one point five million. You do the math. I can't. So um, I'm there. I bail myself out. Well, by then I'm off the off the ballot uh, in the newspaper as a jail mayoral joke. Well, what happened was is I didn't give up. Like I told them, I wasn't going to. I said that I will outlast you. I will outwit you. I will outwork you because I'm standing on righteous ground. I'm standing on truth, and you're not. And I'm not a religious person, but I know that I know how, you know how the game's played, and this is we are winning. We have won, and we, we haven't won until we get everybody out of jail. That, then I think we can actually win because 
why I wanted to go to law school was to speak for the unspoken. Why Sarah Swain and, and Matthew Pappas and, and Joseph Tully and all these guys are heroes to me because of what they sacrificed. They could have gone into corporate law, but they're speaking for the, the literally the voiceless. And these people, I mean, oh my, I mean, when people think, oh, it can never happen to me, I've been in this game since I was 19 years old and 46. I never thought I would be popped. I thought I was going to run the clock out and 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 <laughs> just retire retire to Lake County and 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 it's all good with my cats. And to hit so, to hit that wall at 1.5 mil and to be facing a trial when they want to give me a deal for a possession. Well, I'm not going to plead guilty to possession. I'm allowed in California to possess pot. I'm not. I'm not guilty. So take me to trial. What is going to happen Kevin, is how, that you're, you're. How much time are you facing? I am. I'm facing six years. I'm facing three felony charges, two years each. The original offer, two years ago, I was arrested at 11:47, December 19th, at Starbucks, 2013. It's now almost March 2016. I'm facing six years. They offered me, after all this, after all the stuff. 30 days in jail, which in Monterey County is 15 with the kick, but a one-year probation, but this is the key. They ban you from the industry because you, as the background check for this new MRSA law, you have to have right. certain yeah. laws. So one of their reasons is to bankrupt me. What, what, we, what Noni and I did, the really smart things we did, and we didn't do everything right looking back on it, but one of the things we did is we put everything into Nobia's name as a nonprofit to essentially allow me to fall back just basically on my lottery money or my disability money, which basically means I'm broke. And I applied for a public defender. Well, they thought that they were going to motion me to death. Motion, motion, motion. A pitch's motion, which is critical to my case, would have cost me, had I used any lawyer here, $20,000 at least. So I'd be up into the 150s right now. So instead – got a public defender because I believe in the public defender. I believe that the public defender is not in cahoots with the district attorney. They come from two different mindsets. There's no way in the world anyone can convince me that they work together other than just a professional relationship to get things going. And it landed on the desk of the lawyer that I knew it would because I knew it was high profile. I knew that the public defender wants to whoop ass on the DA, and the DA wants to tag me up a little bit before the election. What they fail to realize is, lack of a better term, they essentially made me a like a martyr to the cause locally. I mean, it, it, it's so odd what it does to you when when they put charges on you. It's like you enter this pantheon of of defendants, and it and it and it almost kind of I hate to say it, but it almost gives gives someone a false sense of like credibility. But the way the DA didn't realize this is that with that that belief that this person has done something for the cause and has and has stood up like people like your dad and people like you and Human Solution and POW four twenty and all you know all the work they did, they counted they counted on us going away that that we that, that our resolve wouldn't be here that we wouldn't advocate that we wouldn't have groups like you that wouldn't be on shows like this wouldn't go to Emerald Cup and speak at events like that they miss calculated because what they fail to realize is it's not just about pot. I could link pot to every single social science there is, economics, sociology, psychology, geology, hydrology, biology, economics. There's you could go literally down the entire anthropology. I could link cannabis into that. And what they fail to realize is Are you there? 
Hello? Eugene, are you there? Are you guys there? Can you guys hear me? Hi, Who Who's that? Craig, are you there? Or, um, Kevin? Yes, ma'am. Okay, you just, I, I don't know what happened, but you weren't there for a second. Oh, I, I heard somebody chime in, and I was hoping it was, uh, guy calling from prison because uh, that's who I really want to instead of listening no, to No, he own, hasn't called yet. He hasn't called yet. Oh, okay. He oh, okay. call in any time, though. But, well, anyway, it's, 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 you know, Eugene, it's, are you um, still there? Oh, okay. Go ahead, keep going. Our, our other host here, Eugene, might have been the one that was lost. I'm not sure. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm still on. Okay. 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 Let's get, let's keep going with uh, with Kevin then. Yeah. Well, I don't um, know where we so left off, Kevin, but what happened? But oh, okay. Well, the, tri- the trial <laughs> the trial was um, um, continued. It's now February twenty second. Our hope is is that it's obviously I'm found not guilty. I'm not going to take a deal, and that we hope to parlay the um, acquittal into um, not only lifting the ban in Marina, which is would be great for people's for people's pocketbooks, their jobs. We hire 15 people on day one. You know, we, we unionize the whole deal. It it would not only allow me to provide for my family. It would allow Noni an opportunity to finish law school and get on with her life too. And you know, she owns 50% of Coaster Dam, and we're going to try to remain friends and civil. We have mutual friends, and and and, and I'm not going to let them win. But Noni is actually running for city council at Marina. Um, I'm running for mayor. And we're running on a platform of rent control, steroid testing for police officers, and mandatory body cams, and then lifting the ban, which would be the first peg in basically the entire um, structure that we want to build for Marina. We want to turn the barracks on Fort Ord that housed 80% of the men, mostly men of color, who died in the Vietnam War. Those same barracks, which are now decrepit and an eyesore, and they sit right on Highway 1 as you enter Big Sur and as you enter Carmel and the third most visited place in California. And you see oh, these you barracks. Oh, you guys, we got, Craig, of, we got Craig calling oh. in. You guys, go Craig, ahead and keep Craig. talking while I answer it, and then I'll merge him in. So hold on for a second. Okay. Oh, Kevin, I think it's fantastic that you're going to turn the situation around and make it a positive, a positive thing. That's good. I hope, hope, sir. I hope that I can, I can do that. I, um, you know, I can't really do anything. I can't rent a house. I can't, I can't go back to school. I can't uh, open up any more business. I can't do anything until the acquittal. And um, we're hoping that with good morning, Craig. Good morning, Craig. Good morning. Here I am in sunny Terre Haute, Indiana. (laughs) Sunny. Morning, Craig. It is sunny today. Good morning, Gene. <laughs> You're probably somewhere sunny also. <laughs> yeah, also I'm in Florida right Kevin. now, Craig. Okay. Craig, we also have Kevin Saunders on the line. He's a defendant down in uh, California who's going to trial soon. So we were talking to him about his case when you called in. Um, and we, other than that, the topic is uh, trials and tribulations. And uh, well, your tribulations and your your trials and your tribulations. Yes, yeah, so Kevin, uh, you have, you have my best wishes, and uh, uh, my advice is, you know, stay on it. You know, get yourself as educated as possible because 
it's terrible to find out later that your lawyer didn't do a lot of things that he should have. So make yourself as knowledgeable as possible would be my advice. Thank you. Kevin was um, in law school um, trying to become an attorney, and they he got in trouble for the plant, and so he's had to he can't go to law school no more. And here it's legal in, well, in medical marijuana in 23 states. So, I mean, I think that day is that day is uh, soon to be gone, or I believe it is. So, Craig, I was at Canacon this weekend, and. We didn't have, like, a really good place to get letters signed, but we it was kind of in the back on the top. But uh, the Seattle Hemp Fest offered a spot at their booth, and there wasn't a lot of people at, at that particular area we were, but we did get a, 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 some good letters signed for you. So I just want to let you know we didn't get a whole bunch like last time, but we got we got a good amount done. But we will um, – we got some letters the present. Oh, well, thank you. Thank you very much. As you know, I, I'm just – so determined that that makes such a difference at the pardon attorney's office that you know that you and so many others are caring enough to send these letters and it helps my petition stand out from I believe there's uh, somewhere around 15,000 of them sitting there right now so anything that helps my petition stand out as those will make you know makes a huge difference in the uh, what I would have to call the com- the commutation lottery. It's really like a lottery because it, you see so many cases that are denied and so many that are granted, and, and you really can't see a difference between them. So it really is kind of a lottery, and, and those letters really help my petition stand out. Thank you. Well, good. Um, I wasn't the only one. I had Tony and Miggy um, help, and uh, we, have an, uh, we have a defendant up here who just went to federal trial. You know Lance Glore, um, I was sending you messages about him. He went to trial. Yes. He, him and his girlfriend sponsored the letters, so they got the letters printed. And um, the Seattle Hemp Fest gave us a spot to get them signed at, and um, maybe coordinated it. So we, uh, it worked out. We got it done. Thank you, Don. We got letters for you, yay. <laughs> <laughs> And I talked about you, too. I was a panel speaker on their panels, and I mentioned my the radio show here and how you, you call in and we're going on lockdown every week to call into the show. So um, I, I talked about you on stage, so everybody knows who you are, who you were. Yes, and I can tell you some of the silly things that goes on in the prison from day to day. <laughs> yes, did you have anything silly happen this week? Well, there's only two things I can think of right now. I could look to the other end of the uh, cell block, and they locked up all the uh, computer terminals, so we can't access the email today. Oh, it why? turns out, it turns out there was somebody in the cell block that wasn't in complete uniform here on a Sunday, so they punished all of us for it. They they have new rules that would be new to Gene. That now on uh, any time you're outside your cell. You have to be in a complete prison uniform. And oh my God! Kinda, <laughs> yes, uh, the only the only exceptions are is if you're walking to the rec yard or walking to the shower. But outside of that, <laughs> so now we're not going to be allowed email today because somebody wasn't dressed as well as the officer thought he should be. <laughs> the second piece of news is uh, kind of getting to be more and more controversial here. Since December 1st, 
the uh, dental office just closed down. There, there's five employees in there, a dental, a dentist, two dental hygienists, and two other people that I think one's a dental assistant and one's something else. But they just quit seeing any patients. And with 900 inmates here, and many of them with bad teeth because they, you know, really didn't take care of them as drug addicts or whatnot, there's just a whole lot of them that are coming up with these really ugly dental emergencies. You see a bunch of people with their cheek all swollen up and they, they look sickly, and it's because they've got a, an infected tooth in that. Well, the dental area just keeps telling them that, well, we're closed, that the one reason that they've given is that their suction machine broke, and so therefore they're just not seeing anybody. Well, these poor dudes are, you know, just really in a bad way. And this is a prison complex where we can look out the window and see a camp on one side of us and a penitentiary on the other, but still they they won't help these guys that, it, I mean, just look so sad with their cheek all swollen up and everything. And the dentist threatened one of them who wrote up a grievance. He wrote up a written complaint, and he threatened him that if you do that, if you follow through on it, that I will eventually get you in the chair and it will hurt. So this is the kind of stuff that your federal tax dollars are paying for. And think of the kind of salaries for those five people that have sat since December 1. You know, you're looking at some really big dollars in salaries being, you know, paid out of your tax dollars. As I recall, a dentist or a doctor in the federal prison system will make about $116,000 a year. Right, and tack onto that, oh, easily forty or fifty thousand dollars worth of benefits, you know. So I mean, you know, this call is from a federal prison. For five people over there, of course, they don't make as much as the dentist, but you know, the hygienists and the dental assistants are going to be paid well. Wow. Your take. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed. I'm disappointed because here's the thing. What if somebody's already kind of sick and their body can't fight off the affection and it turns into a bigger affection and it affects the whole mouth and then it spreads in the body and then, you know, somebody could die like that. Teeth are not nothing, no joke, not just be not playing around with. If your teeth are, you got an infection in your body and then they're rejecting not to take care of it, that means they're not providing them with proper health care. And you guys know my dad died in prison because he didn't get proper health care. So how dare they? That I mean. How many people are suffering? Like, that's too much. And there's too many in that way because you people as taxpayers have spent an awful lot of money on those five people in the dental office, and yet they're providing no care whatsoever, and there's really no reason for it. And that's the sad part is, you know, the the money's there and all that, just the management is sorely, you know, sorely lacking. I mean, we don't have a warden that will stand up to the dentist and say, hey, you need to either do this or I'm going to fire you or replace you. And we just don't have that kind of management here. And really throughout the Bureau of Prisons, from what I've seen. From what I see, too. I, I agree with that 100%. So I'm I'm wondering, like, what, what do you do if you're too sick to get dressed? Because your tooth hurts. Then everybody, you can't go out on the yard because you can't get all the way dressed because you're too sick. But then you want to go out there to get some food or something. You still have to get what? – what is uniform? Is it shoes? Do you have to have shoes on? Oh, well, shoes, a special kind of khaki pants, a brown T-shirt, 
and really nothing else. You know what I mean? Just just shoes, socks, you know, pants and shirt, but it's the ones they prescribe. Now, at the commissary, we can buy, like, sweatpants and shirts and shorts and things of that nature. And up until recently, that's what we wore in the evenings and on the weekends is basically our leisure clothes, I guess. You know, usually sweatpants or shorts or something comfortable to, to sit around in. And now we're no longer allowed that, but the the sad part is is that the the officers re, you know rely on like a group punishment that one person doesn't dress correctly, and they punish all the hundred and thirty of us here in the cell block. I mean that's just you know I, I'm just kind of a strange arrangement in my eyes <laughs> Wow Eugene, what do you uh what do you think about that? Well, uh, as I recall, Greg, Greg, when I was Pardon? doing my time in federal penitentiaries, the favorite thing in the dental dentist office when you had a problem wasn't a fit filling, it was pulling a tooth. We used to get our teeth pulled for the mi- most minor things, and uh, it was all, all kind of part of the torture, you know. Uh, the overall torture. It wasn't medical care. It was. It was more. I always envisioned more like torture. Yes, I've also seen what you've seen for minor cavities and all that. They'll, they'll wait four or five months, and then they'll finally bring the person in and and pull the tooth out of over something that should have been a a simple twenty minute filling. And again, the taxpayer is paying paying plenty of money to have all this equipment here and. But, you know, the staff just doesn't utilize it. Huh. Wow. Well, we got Mindy. She's on on the case, um, Craig. She's in the back end. Um, She just looked up the Federal Bureau's health care system, medical care in Terry Hutt, and she said it's, it's very crappily worded, she said, and she goes on to write it and she says um this is this is the bs out there that's on the website and basically says that uh, the bureau of prisons food progress emphasizes on heart healthy diet nutrition education and dietary counseling in conjunction with certain medical treatment it is about the medical bureau of prison staff provide essential medical dental and mental health psychiatric services in the matter consistent with accepted by community standards for a correctional environment um, it says the Bureau of Prisons uses licensed and accredited health care providers in its ambulatory care units, which are supported by the community consultants. Basically, um, they're not doing what they're supposed to be doing. Yes. They are not they're... providing you with those services um, in a manner consistent with community, accepted by community standards for a community. I don't accept those standards, and I, I don't think it's fair. Well, especially when the American taxpayer is paying for all this. You know, that staff with the five of them combined is probably costing somewhere around $300,000 a month for, you know, their salaries and benefits and all that. And, I mean, what is the taxpayer getting for it? They're getting a bunch of prisoners with messed up teeth and are going to have a bunch of other medical problems that will probably end up costing more money in the long run. The medical PAs are actually giving people antibiotics and that's just trying to bring down their big swollen cheeks and all that while literally right down the hall sits the dentist and them doing nothing. Can can uh, the families from all the prisoners call into the prison 
and tell them that they need to provide them with um, proper medical care all at once. Like, we do know that that's worked. We've gotten some phone calls for some prisoners here and there, and we do know that it's worked, and they have provided medical care after we've blown their phones up with phone calls. Sometimes, unfortunately, that that's the best it takes because, as I told you, the dentist is actually – uh, went to, you know, personally threatening the inmates that if you complain about me, I'll hurt you. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is and so scary. Yeah. That is tormenting. And, of course, you know, the management, he complained the management, and they just kind of shrugged. I mean, that that's just, you know, that there's no management to tell him that, no, that's not acceptable. But uh, when the, the Bureau of Prisons sees that family members or friends or, you know, just concerned people on the street start making calls to D.C., start making calls to the regional office in Kansas City, and start doing those kind of things, then they take notice, especially when the congressmen and all that get involved because it's the congressmen that control how much money they have. <laughs> right, right. But, Mindy, they're well. I'm sorry, but Kristen, there's the beep, so you uh-huh. know what that means. <laughs> that means that your that your conversation is about over. Yes, but thank you for shining a light in, for taking a look at what's happening inside the razor wire here, what's happening inside the soul building. That you know, here's these people. I can see one of them from here. That I mean, his cheek was so swollen up he couldn't even eat for several days. It, it's went down now with some antibiotics, but uh, I mean, this is just such a sad situation, and, and there's really no excuse for it. You people have paid plenty of money for it to be otherwise. Okay, well, I'm I'm sad, and I hope you have a nice day, and thank you, Craig, for your sacrifices. All right, thank you guys, you, Craig. that was Craig, Craig Cecil serving life, a life sentence in prison for our plant that we, you know, celebrate, practice business around, medicate with every single day, and use in our personal lives um, all over the place. So please remember we have people uh, serving life sentences for a plant. Christian, I'd just like to emphasize with Craig, the fact is not only does he have a life sentence for marijuana, number one, without parole, that means he's never going to get out of prison under that sentence, but number two, He's unjustly convicted of of what he was convicted of, and that's the, right. the tragedy a tragedy of the whole thing. For sure, for sure, that's rough. And I, you know, and then like a couple of weeks ago, all they were feeding prisoners was a bologna sandwich. Like if that's all you eat for weeks, then they're going to have tooth issues anyway. So I don't know. I just. Christian, you know, you know they 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 tar- they they made the United States Supreme Court made California release prisoners not so many years ago because they weren't giving them adequate medical care because it's it's a right of a prisoner to be treated equally as to if as if they were in the street as far as medical and dental care is concerned. You and I both know that doesn't happen, but that's what the law is. Right. Well, um, Eugene, we still have Kevin on, and George just called in. So, Kevin, we want to thank you for coming onto our show and sharing your um, your trial information with us. 
Um, we commend you for going to trial. Not everybody can go to trial or is, you know, a lot of people just trial is a lot and you, it lessens your chances of freedom. So you're a hero to all of us. Um, and, you know, all, you know, all of our lifers, a lot of them went to trial. So you are a hero just like the rest of them. And I commend you for what you're doing and running for mayor and fighting all this. You're You're awesome, Kevin, and thank you. Kevin, are you still there? I am. Thank you. Yeah, okay. thank you so much. I was actually ch- kind of choking up there. I'm sorry. Um, thank you. <laughs> I, 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 um, I hold you and Mindy and everybody and, and your dad. I just think that uh, I think that that's something that uh, I never got a chance to meet him, but I've read a lot. And, you know, you want to talk about, you know, pioneers and people have to remember <laughs> doing it in 2000. And and beyond is, is is one thing, but doing it like your dad did and 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 his colleagues and I will call them colleagues. I won't. You know, I'm not gonna. I don't want to yeah. use the word outlaws anymore. I mean, your dad just right. guys like him just just they were they were doctors without wearing a a, a lab coat or without MDs, and they were they were sowing the seeds and. And that's really all we can do is is, is is people and you know, he obviously sowed the seeds of you and then you're now with your children and, and it's just it, it's a continuous flow and I just the the respect I have for you and Adela um, I, just, I just wanna thank, well, thank you. you. Thank you. Thank you. That means a lot to me. It really does. It truly does. It truly anyway, does. Um, thank you. Well I'm gonna go walk on the beach <laughs> and uh, collect my collect my thoughts and uh, all right. Think of, so, think about freedom. Um, think about freedom. Okay. Okay. All right. Thank you. Bye bye. All right, you guys. That was Kevin Saunders from California, Eugene. I have a feeling you're going to be meeting him soon because you've been spending a lot of time in California. Right. <laughs> yeah. Well, next, you guys, we're going to go to George Monterano, who served 33 years in prison was just recently released. Um, he's one of our heroes and a very close friend of Eugene Fisher's. Um, and this is Georgie's Corner. Good morning, George. Hey, guys. Uh, good morning. So happy to be here. Hi, Gene. Good morning, George. Good morning. Good to have you, George. Yes, yes, yes. And George, uh, today is uh, trials and tribulations. Tell us something. Oh, you want to know about the courtroom, <laughs> eh? Uh, let me start yeah. out with my usual rhyme of words. And here goes. The courtroom setting for all to see, except there be a few alone, alone and chained. Oh, justice, justice, so gone, so refrained. Oh, the words then come of how your life, prison yard, run Run, run. But ah, so many courtrooms be, be as such, the destroy of you and me. <clears throat> That's it. Mm, wow. Aww. Touched my heart. It always, it well, all the poems touched my heart, George. The courtroom, uh, you know, the courtroom has destroyed so many people in the weed industry. And uh, now that's the wrong word, not the weed industry. You know, we 
took the wrong path, but you believed in the path of uh, of uh, cannabis, and then you were you were in these courtrooms, nonviolent, most of us first offenders, and we were considered uh, uh, as we were treated like un-American. We were treated like the dreads of uh, society. And uh, there's no one knows the courtroom better than I. I've been in more hearings. I had more appeals than anybody in this country in federal court in the criminal sense. 32 appeals. And, uh, you know, once, when, and that's, that's not what justice to be. Justice is supposed to be, okay, you're punished, all right? You're punished for what you have did. Not with the uh, newspapers and with these individuals and uh, the power and the power uh, positions in the back room decide what to do with you. Not justice. My situation, justice is what justice was so cruel that continue to punish. It continue to punish and punish and punish. So much so, and finally, <clears throat> when I got myself out. Basically, I got myself out. Finally, the punishment didn't stop. They wanted to put a bracelet on me for four months, which I had to fight that. Now I'm under this uh, probation situation. So that's not justice, ladies and gentlemen. That's not justice when it continues to punish. And that's what's wrong with America. We lost our philosophy. We lost our philosophy. I mean, I woke up this morning, and uh, I mean, there, there was random deaths. Uh, in another city, random deaths in this city. It has nothing to do uh, like uh, Gene or I or Christian or this radio show, nothing. But we were treated, we were treated as the dreads of this American uh, society. So, you know, the courtroom has, has lost its way, totally lost its way. Gene? You know, George, when you say that, I always think of, of what was in our indictments. The United States of America versus George Maturano. The United States of America versus Eugene Fisher. Uh, I I always looked at that and I said I'm I'm I don't want to oppose the United States. Why is the United States opposing me? Right. <clears throat> well, I like to bring a story, <clears throat> Christine. Uh, years ago, uh, I'm in Leavenworth Penitentiary. It's built 1900. I mean, it's a big it's a big monster. And I got to the chow hall a little late, uh, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, the couple old-timers were sitting around. One was, uh, I think you knew him, Gina. I can't think of his name right now. Jim, Jim something. Uh, he was uh, he was a for a tall guy. And uh, he said, George, I want you to sit down for a minute. And I said, well, he said, I want to listen to this, uh, what this other guy has to say. And his name was like mine, but he had a nickname attached to it. It was called Sakey. Shaky George, and the poor old guy's handshake. Well, make long story short, he, uh, the poor old guy, falls in love with uh, one of these barroom dancers in, the, in a little town in the south, and uh, he decides to rob the local bank. Okay, and uh, he gets twenty five years. Okay, but here's the situation. He was brought out of the cell, the little court, uh, never never made it to the courthouse. He was brought out of the cell into some office. I believe it was the warden and the, and the U.S. attorney. And they gave him his judgment and commitment order. He said, the judge gave him 25 years. He never was in the courtroom. 
He never was in front of the judge. They bypassed all the procedures. Never seen his PSI. Gave him 25 years, and the old guy didn't know. He wow. went back to the cell. Now he comes to Leavenworth, and he's there minding his business, got a little job. He was in Leavenworth five years before the little old guy met, befriended this Jim. Jim Hall. You remember him, Gene? Jim Hall? No. Uh, it kind of rings a bell. Uh, uh, I'll probably, my memory will drag it up later, I'm sure. Well, anyway, uh, this, this, and we, uh, and I, I was, at the time, I was just, the only thing left in the chow hole was a little soup, and I had dropped the spoon in the soup, and I said, what is, what? So I immediately uh, got on board of his legal team, and we, uh, and they, they tried, they were, they, you know, they tried to hide his docket sheet. Because the docket sheet would have said what they did to him. Finally, we got the docket sheet, and the docket sheet didn't have anything addressed to sentencing by any judge, and we we got we got the old guy out. So that's just one Aww. story. And then you know, I can sit here for days and tell you stories and stories and stories like that. Gene, yes, I know George. It's it, it's the atrocity of our system. Uh, you know. Uh, uh, the Supreme Court Justice Scalia just died, and people are mourning him and so on. But he was the first to point out that I, we have an imperfect justice system. I hear people say it's the best in the world. Uh, uh, that's highly questionable, George. Right. What do you? Oh, we know because we lived it, and we lived it. And then you, uh, I'm out here now doing a lot of uh, special interventions uh, with a lot of people that have trouble uh, with this. Uh, opiate situation that's plaguing America, not marijuana. If, they, if these parents, if their children were on marijuana, they, they wouldn't have this detriment. But uh, this opiate situation is is out of hand. Just 28, wow. uh, I think in January, 28 deaths in New Hampshire. And incidentally, I, got a, I was creating a poem for my Facebook this morning, and the phone rang behind me, and it was a friend of mine's son, Died over de- overdosed in uh, Carolina, uh, forty two wow. years old, a chef. So kid had a good job. So that's the day. I I mean uh, I've been around a while. I haven't heard anybody yet OD from marijuana. Maybe I haven't home, either. But I haven't. Christine. I haven't either. No, I haven't either. And um, uh, and it's and. Marijuana is scheduled level one narcotic, same as heroin. And but these mm-hmm. opiates are killing so many in this country, so many. I since I've been in Philadelphia, not even uh, I think three weeks. I already did two uh, special interventions with a fourteen-year-old on uh, on uh, heroin. Uh, <clears throat> very very sad situation, but I'm trying to do the best I can. And another twenty-year-old in college, a girl in college, a very prestigious college. On her, so, but uh, you know, that's not. And then I walk, I walk around my neighborhood, is which is like Greenwich Village. It's you know so many restaurants and eateries, and and they walk and and they walk out. Uh, they're having dinner or a few drinks, or the meal didn't come, and they walk out the front door and they're they're, they're smoking weed, and the police don't even bother them. Okay, but they're not harming anyone. They, they're not they're not over uh, ODing. And uh, you know it has to it has to change, but and we still have so many, so many languishing in prison for for cannabis. Gene, 
Yeah, George, there was just an article in The Economist uh, magazine, which is one of the foremost uh, uh, magazines in the world, and on, on uh, marijuana, and it emphasized that point. It said, in the history that they could trace, in the history of the world, there has never been a death because of uh, overdosing on marijuana in the history of the world. George, so, I, I, like I said, I see it. I see it every evening because I live in a very, uh, very nice neighborhood. So many eateries, and it's customary that if they uh, want to smoke, they they walk out front and they smoke and they they and they and they're having a ball, and it's so accepted. It's so accepted. But you'll have maybe uh, and this is a city where it's so accepted. Somebody's door decides to get kicked in from the powers that be and dragged into the courtroom. And he or she's whole life is upside down. And these judges, they just sit there and they go for the ride that uh, they're supposed to call justice. And it's not a, not an iota of justice. So when, when does it change? When does it change? When, when does, uh, I don't know what's the right word for this whole justice uh, community. When, when are they going to take a look at themselves and realize that the they border on being hypocrites, <clears throat> Yeah, I, I, George, I think you raised some good good points there. Uh, uh, I, I, I want to make this uh, question to you too, George. Uh, you know, our title of the program is Trials and Tribulations, but the second part of that is and Great Expectations. Oh, and, I see. You know, I, I, I like your comments about we go through some horrible things in life, but it, it can also bring you out and illuminate things and bring you to a better level of life. Can you tell us something about your thoughts on that? Well, yeah. The other night I was at a home worth $5 million, a magnificent home, and I was invited there by a very influential community in this town with the theater. And uh, and I was there to speak, and uh, and I was surprised when I walked in. Uh, some people walked up and shook my hand and knew my name. And these were these were the people that uh, uh, you know make a big difference when they were trying to crucify. Me. But now I'm in acceptance. I'm in acceptance of uh, of my metamorphosis and what I have been through. And uh, what I'm going to do is. Uh, you know, try to. Uh, I've already offered uh, a documentary. I've already offered a Netflix series. Hopefully, that all developed. And uh, guys like uh, you and I and uh, Christine and everyone out in California, all all the troops out there, we have to stay the course. We have to stay the course and just tell the stories and uh, and carry ourselves the way we do, uh, as the you know very classy. And just keep telling the stories and stay the course, and then you you do get invited to these types of uh, parties and events. I mean, the home was uh, I it was a magnificent home right in the city, and uh, so you just have to stay the course and tell your story. And uh, it's, sometimes it's difficult because you get mad and you want to, you know, you want to pound, you want to pound the table, you want to stomp stomp the floor, but we can't because we have so many. 
some of the others are in that are, their lives are thrown away and are trying to come out. So you have to try to make a difference the best way you can, Gene. George, I I think you should know this. Uh, uh, Christian just went to a, a, a conference, a, a, a thing on marijuana, and a lady came up to her, and, and she you, you'll get a kick out of this, George. She said, oh, you're Christian Floor. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> And, yeah. and so we got a celebrity, George. George, we got yes, another well. celebrity. <laughs> you guys are funny. Well, you know, thank God. You know, we, we're staying the course. I mean, we, you know, we're staying the course. So it's so important. It's so important. And uh, and uh, we just have to keep doing it, keep doing it. So one day, one day, that grand day when, you know, we we our country wakes up. I'm praying with this administration does it before it's, uh, you know, the new administration comes in. But, uh, you know, I'm only repeating myself. It's so accepted. The police don't, don't bother you. But then you have the isolated cases where they want to take their life away because uh, some woman has a few plants in her home. She's not in a state of illegal marijuana. And she has a child that's very ill. And she needs the sister's child with that. But they destroy her whole life. Um, that's our next guest, George. We got our next guest coming on in a minute or so, and she kind of had it happen to her and her her uh, husband. They they had they were they were dealing with the plant, and they they came in and raided and took her kids. Right. She got her kids back, and then the feds picked up the case, and it just happened right. out here where we actually call it legal, and it's you know it's not as legal as we think it is. Right, right, and you know we just got to. They, I met with some marketing people yesterday. They came in from New York. They're going to, uh, you know, assist me and develop me and such. And, and we talked about what should I do, and they said do nothing different. Stay the course. Write your poems. Do your speaking. Stay the course. And be a gentleman and just do what you're doing. And uh, and that's what we all have to do, stay the course. And by staying the course, okay. they, you know, you, you, you're, you're standing in front of them and say, I'm just like you. I'm just like right, you. Right. I, I accepted the, the 30, 33 years in prison. I accepted it. But I'm just like you now. Please, please listen to me. Yeah. Okay. Well, so. thank you. Thank you, George. But you're an elegant voice, yeah. George. You're an elegant voice for the movement, and we appreciate you. Okay. We love you. All right. Thank I'll you. see you guys thank next week. Gene, <clears throat> uh, I'll be talking to you. Okay. Thank you. All right. That, that was George Matarano. Christian, we're very fortunate. He's a he's he's a, a beautiful soul, and you can you can hear it in his writings and his thoughts and and his actions. I know. I love I love George. I love everything he says. I want to ask him next week how it's going with the picking up the um the kids from the school. I forgot to ask him that, but we'll ask him next week. <laughs> I, I I talked to him. About, uh, about a day ago, and he's still doing it. They still, because and here, here you got a guy that our society put away for 33 years in prison, and yet parents think enough of them that they let him pick up the little kids from school and bring them back to back to their homes. I know, like he's like just totally not violent at all. Not not what's the type of person you think should be in prison, not even for a day, much less 33 years. Ugh. <laughs> 
It, it sounds like I'm just happy that he's free now because it really truly he has so he sounds like he's just enjoying life. Just and then he's so inspiring because you know I honestly felt like when I would hear his poems and hear everybody talk about him and I would I heard all he was doing behind prison. It sounds like he's just the type of guy that lives his life to the best no matter where he's at. So I really um, I really look up to him a lot. He's beautiful. I'll tell, you, I'll tell you a quick story, uh, Christian, about George, uh, and this was what happens in prison. So, there's no privacy, okay? he got no privacy in prison. So I remember once George found a little closet in, uh, when I was doing time with him in the FCI in Coleman, and he went into the, he'd go to that closet, and, and he'd go in there and he'd meditate and pray because it was an area of silence. Aww. Well, Eugene, our next guest, Debbie Breschler, she was just facing federal charges, and she, uh, she's, uh, you know, she was just actually charged and pled out, pled out and uh, charged. She didn't get jail time, and she was facing jail time, and she's free, and she's got probation, I believe, for four years. But we're going to find out, talk to Debbie. We're also going to bring uh, Mindy on in a second. She's the producer of the show because she was at Debbie's court support. So, good morning, Debbie. How are you? Hey Kristen, we're hey we're we're free. <laughs> You're free. No good morning, da- good morning, Debbie. Good morning. How's everyone doing? Good, um, good. Debbie, this, this is Eugene Fisher. He served 25 years in federal in federal custody for the plant. Uh, he's the other host good of the grief. show. Good morning, Eugene. Good morning, <laughs> Debbie. It's so nice to talk to you. Tell us your story. Well, I'll try to be quick uh, and and get as much in as I can, but um, back in June of 2014, uh, my boyfriend and I won the 2014 Northwest Leaf Concentrate Cup. We had befriended some months earlier the photographer that was actually hired to photograph that event, and we were giving her medicine and we were giving her food and, you know, she was taking pictures of our family and she wanted to take pictures of our garden. So we let her. And then um, in July, uh, just the very next month, she ended up calling 911 and reporting us for running a uh, butane hash oil lab below our kids' bedroom, and which was kind of the truth, but a, really a stretch. She told the police that we had guns and that we had all kinds of crazy things going on, and so they, they secured a warrant within hours. And they were pounding, not pounding on our door. They wouldn't knock on the door because they thought there might be an explosion. So they got on the all the SWAT vehicles and, I mean, everything. We live in a cul-de-sac. Kristen knows where we live. And there was just authorities for as far as you could see. And um, so they ordered me out of my house at 11 o'clock on a Sunday night. I was literally in my underwear and a tank top. And uh, they paraded me down the street in front of all of my neighbors Um wrapped a zip tie around my hands and started telling me, tell, you know, different things of why they thought they were there. And then they get me far enough away so that Josh can't hear me or that anybody else can't hear me. And they said, well, why don't you tell me what you know about your boyfriend's hash lab? And I was like, um, yeah, I'm not going to say anything. <laughs> and so we, we, I didn't say it like that, but I wasn't quite that nice. But we, I mean, Josh was in a pair of shorts, and I was literally in a pair of underwear and um, a tank top. We were getting ready for bed. It was a Sunday night. We had been working all weekend long. The kids were upstairs sleeping. So they come through 
they realized that they had been lied to, but they figured, what the heck, we've got all of our equipment and all this manpower here, let's do the search and seizure. So they found some things. Um, So we go through state court for about seven months, and the state was having a difficult time getting a conviction on us because we were about 98% compliant with the MMJ laws and the current laws at the time in Washington State. So the state prosecutor was getting frustrated and reached out to the federal prosecutor and asked for some advice, and the federal prosecutor said, well, why don't you just let me take this case? So that's what happened. And then the next thing you know, we're in federal court pleading not guilty. And this is the same federal prosecutor that that, uh, has the Lance Floor case. I'm sorry, Kristen? Was the Vince Lombardi, was he the prosecutor? Vince Lombardi, the the coach Lombardi, Vince Lombardi's grandson was our prosecutor. Yeah, same one as Lance. Vince Lombardi, yet the same prosecutor that Lance has, the same prosecutor that Kevin Weeks had. Yes, V1. And he's just running up and down western Washington trying to get as many convictions as he can, and he doesn't care about the Warbucker-Farr Amendment, and he doesn't care about the way current federal laws are falling into place on our side. And um, he just wants to get as many checks in his win column as he can before he can't do it anymore, is my my thought. So we end up in federal court. We plead not guilty. We decide we want to go to trial. Um, we end up with a lawyer that we paid for, for Josh, and I ended up with a, a federal public defender. And neither lawyer through time, regardless of what information I supplied them, regardless of what law I supplied them with so many facts and so much data that they were probably swimming in it. And um, neither one determined that they had confidence enough in taking us to trial that we could win at trial. They let they let the prosecutor bully them into saying, well, we're going to come after them with everything we've got if you don't plead them out. So Josh's kids are small. They're, at the time, they were five and seven. Now they're six and eight. In fact, they will be seven and nine next month. They both have a birthday in March. And so it's been, for them, almost two years now. And so one thing that Josh, Josh has custody of, a, of his son, who isn't even his son, um, but he's Liberty's brother. And so they deserve to be raised together. And so we're raising these two children, and that's the one thing that Josh never, ever wanted, was to be separated from these kids. And so we pled out. We took our lawyer's weak advice, and we pled out. We pled to manufacturing a controlled substance, endangering human life while manufacturing a controlled substance, which is the one thing we always maintained we never did. We never said we weren't making BHO. We never said we didn't have a grow. We never said we weren't medical marijuana patients. So um, fast forward a few months, because we pled out, we ended up going to court and having to be sentenced to the one thing that we pled guilty to. We ended up um, basically, you know, going on Facebook and asking all of our friends and family and anyone who knew us to write us letters of support, letters of experience, um, letters of character reference. And we ended up submitting over 70 letters to the judge, which was, from what I understand, quite a long read. (laughs) But I understand he read them all. And 
Yeah, we ended up with 70-plus letters, closer to 75, but there was a couple of last-minute entries, which my lawyer said she did get in. So anyway, we ended up with a lot of letters of support. Then we posted an event on Facebook and said, this is happening on this day. Please come stand with us at sentencing. You know, um, we really need your help. We love your support. And everybody did. We filled a federal courtroom with court supporters, friends, families, church members. We've been going to the Um, same church for almost four years now. Debbie, I've got I've got we've got Mindy, the producer of the show, who was at your court support. I'm just gonna put her. Good on morning, beautiful. Hold on, let me get her. Hold on, Mindy. Okay, Mindy, she's Mindy, on yet. She's in right now, Mindy. Hey, good morning, Debbie. Good morning, gorgeous. How are you? I am doing fabulous. It's so good to hear your voice. It's so good to hear yours. Um, yes, Mindy and her boyfriend drove all the way up from Portland to be at a 9 a.m. sentencing in Seattle. They're, they're soldiers in this war, I tell you. Um, <laughs> but they were there for us, and um, Mindy has written a really wonderful uh, follow-up and final, hopefully, story for the Northwest Leaf regarding our, our case. But... Um, the Northwest Leaf, I have to thank both Mindy, Kristen, um, Miggy, Wes Abney, everyone involved for keeping our story in the Northwest Leaf every single month. Um, oh, thanks. But thanks, Debbie. We appreciate that. Um, no, I, we appreciate Debbie, it as well. The court support, though, it didn't just come, you know, when when you went to federal trial. You've been getting court support since since oh, they, yeah. since they were trying to in the CPS room I remember um you've had since day you've one huge, yes you've had a huge um representation I remember when Joe Grumbine was out with the human solution yeah. and yeah um just when you were in jail I remember you know you, you the courtroom the courtroom was filled it was a little courtroom but it was filled yeah yes and we had amazing yeah. amazing court support from friends family activists all, all across the board from the very beginning, and specifically two ladies very dear to my heart. Um, Sharon Garland-Marcel and Sonia Leva were at every single one of our court appearances with us from beginning to end. I want to point out that Debbie is also someone who goes to court support. She didn't just get a lot of court support, but I... I believe the first time I met you, Debbie, was at a at, at court support type situation for Vicka. Is that isn't that correct? That is correct. Yeah, when Vicka and um, um, Jesse, when they were trying to get Jerry back, right? We we were outside CPS, and I, that's I believe that's right. I, I met you. So I remember um, that. Absolutely. Yep. Yep. Yeah, Kristen, so we drove you, up together with Sharon, and um, with me, you, yep. Sharon. And I think yeah. was Sonia with us, or was it just the three of us? I'm sure Sonia was there. Maybe I'm sure yeah. she was. I don't. Yeah. I don't know. But now, so and much. we've done. We've been doing court support for Lance. I did court support for Kevin Weeks. Unfortunately, I didn't get to go to any of his trial, but I was there for his sentencing. Um, court support is very important because the judge sees these people, and 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 sees that this person in front of him that he's about to change that person's life might not be that bad of a person after all. And, you know, the letters of support, the bodies in court for court support is 
very important. It's, it holds a lot of weight in the judge's final decision. And the judge, they typically have their minds made up before ever walking into that courtroom. But when they see all those people there, grandmothers in wheelchairs, people with their children present, um, you know, girlfriends and wives crying, um, you know, it has an impact on these judges. I, I, I really believe that. And they can take until the very last second those words come out of their mouths to make that decision and change that person's life. And we as people who have had court support and have been able to provide court support know how incredibly important it is and how valuable it is. Well, Debbie, I want to also talk to you just a little bit about um, uh, before the charges came along and what you were doing for our prisoners. In fact, you were... You had right. tables at market, and you would raise money, and you would give half of the money you raised right. to our prisoners. So you've that's been right. We used to. That's right. We 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 did fundraisers at uh, the weekend cannabis farmers markets, and we would call it dabs for dollars, and we donated a lot of money to a lot of different um, charities or organizations that needed money. Of course, the Human Solution was one. We donated money to them for you know many weeks at in a time. Half, we donated every money single to one you had. You you handed over you every single every single fundraiser you had there. You handed over half of your money to me for, that's right. for the prisoners. So that's right. You you gave a lot. I remember you gave a lot. Sometimes a hundred, sometimes fifty, sometimes mm-hmm. like one twenty. Mm-hmm. Like you, you did a lot for our, for our that's, prisoners. That's right. Were, and that's all. The, that's all because of people just coming and doing dabs and dropping a one dollar bill or a five dollar bill or a twenty dollar bill into that jar right. because they know it could just as easily be them that yeah, we're supporting. Sure. Um, and I'm going to put you on the phone real quick. Okay. Um, Debbie, I'm going to put Miggy on the phone real quick because he's been following your case like crazy. Um, I just I want to yes. see if he has something he wants to say to you. He's online. Miggy, are you? Um, do you have anything you want to say to Debbie? Hi. Hey, Debbie. Uh, good morning, hon. What's up? Hey, good morning. Hi. <laughs> oh, I just want to say hi. <laughs> hi. <laughs> We right missed you on. in court, but we understand why you weren't there. But you know no. what? We had such an epic day, and I, I, it was just wow. I don't even. I mean, I know you've been following the case pretty much from beginning to end, and you know, you know the people involved. You know all the players and all the participants. And if anybody's qualified to write about it or talk about it, it's you. Oh, thank you so much. I think, and like you said, though, everything the the court support, the letter support, these are important things that anybody can do. Uh, yeah, it's it's really easy to do. If it's a, your friend, if it's a family member, get involved, stay involved, be there for that person. Um, you know, Lance has sentencing coming up April 15th, and um, his lawyer, Karen, is going to um, appeal it. But because I asked him, can I write you a letter? What can we do right now? And he's like, no letters yet because we're going to appeal. We don't know what that's going to, what the next step's going to be. But he knows we're there for him. If I don't yeah. have to work a day, we will be in Tacoma. We will be in that courtroom. We will be right behind him. It's all about using our voices, right? What? <laughs> so it's all about using our voices. That's yes. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Maybe, yes. And it's, got it. <laughs> it's funny because I was talk. We were talking to Lance after our sentencing. Lance's mom and dad were at our sentencing. He couldn't be because he's on an uh-huh. ankle bracelet. 
Yeah. But they were at our sentencing, and apparently, you know, we have the same prosecutor, and apparently the prosecution got mad at Tracy. And yeah. The probation officer, Lance's probation officer, said, I can't trust your mom. She went to Debbie and Josh's. um, That's correct. That's correct. Oh, my goodness. No way. Yes. They said that Lance's mom couldn't be trusted. Yeah. Isn't that funny that that we're such a threat? Yeah, right? That's another, that, that God-fearing, beautiful woman, that she's such a threat to the federal government in their case. Um, but, that's another reason we fully intend to be at as many of Lance's court dates as we can from here on out, because we know the prosecutor knows who we are, and we know the prosecutor knows that we all know each other. <laughs> and we want him to see our faces. Yeah, and that's, well, and that's what it's about. Yeah. Well, you guys, I know Debbie has to get off to church. Um, is Josh? Is That's Josh, correct. Josh, tell Josh. Is, he is sounds there getting dressed. <laughs> okay. I will. Cool. I definitely will. Mindy, is there anything you want to say or, or Eugene before we let um, Debbie go? I just want to say thank you again, Debbie, for letting us, uh, you know, walk through the path with you and see, you know, what you've had to go through. And if anything uh, comes up during your um, probation period, you know, let us know. um, Okay. Technically, technically your your case really isn't over until the day that you're not on paper. And can medicate We're still again, drug so. testing. We're still doing random UAs, but we have no ankle oh. bracelets or anything like that. We went and met with our new probation officer a week and a half or so ago, and we just did our first UA on Friday, I believe. So we're still doing all that, but as long as we're compliant, we can file to have the rest. Uh, we can fi- at 18 months or at half term of our probation period, <clears throat> we can file. If, once we're successful at 18 months, we can file to ask this court to drop the remainder. So this is exactly what we intend to do, but we don't have any intentions of doing anything stupid or being foolish in any way. We're going to just stay on this road that we're on right now and just know that our snitch didn't win. We did, and we're yeah. free. Our kids are happy and healthy, and just because we can't smoke our plant right now or medicate with what we choose to medicate with, it's only temporary. <clears throat> yep. Stop. Yeah. Well, thank you, Debbie. And we'll thank just you, Debbie. keep fighting the fight, you guys. All right. Thanks, Debbie. Thank you, Deb. I right, love you all very much. It was so wonderful talking to everybody all at once. <laughs> thank you, Debbie. Thank you. Thank you. Mm-hmm. you guys, that, <laughs> Debbie's case is an example of why we just need to stop snitching. Oh, my gosh. You remember Mickey um, being in Lance's courtroom watching his snitches, watching his, his snitches go down on him? They were like, all shaking yeah. and felt like shit. <laughs> that irritated yep. me. Like, it, every case has a snitch. And if we don't have a snitch, we don't have cases. So, you know, we can end prohibition right now just by not telling the government what they want to hear. And that's what. Pointing the fingers at each other. Yeah, well, the government the government has a lot of money and a lot of power, and they are able to threaten and intimidate people very easily. For sure. For billion sure. dollars. Yep, billion dollar drug war. Yep. So they're going to keep doing it as long as we let them get away with it. Yep. All right. Well, Mindy, um, I know Mindy has a update she wants to give. Mindy, do you want to uh, give your prison outreach update? Um, sure. Bye, guys. Love you all. All right, Debbie. Bye.
Um, well, you... let's see here. I First, I got a message from Michael Knight. And um, if I remember correctly, he's definitely a long, he has a long-term sentence, and I can't remember if it's life or not at this point. But um, he completed his commutation petition last month, or uh, last week, and um, he got a lot of help from Amy Pova. And I wanted to kind of give a shout-out to Amy. Um, we, Mike, Michael had been messaging me and needing help, and so I connected him with Amy, and Amy and him have been working together, and he's been a lot more hopeful. Oh, yay. Um, and um, he says, you know, he just said he's had enough of this, and he's broken and tired, um, and he's really ready to go home, and he's just really grateful for the help. So um, be looking to the Can Do Foundation to see what we can do for letters for Michael and any other support we can. Um, I'm going to reach out to Amy also and find out what we can do, and I'll get back to everybody on that. Um, yeah. if, if you're in contact with Farrell Scott, his prison has been in lockdown. Um, it sounds like, let's see, I'll, I'll just read you what he says. It was just a fight, but it was a lot of guys involved, so they had to sort some shit out before they let us back out. It, I think they're out of lockdown, but they might have gone back in lockdown. That kind of happens in prison once they go in lockdown. It kind of, It's like the aftershocks of an earthquake. You're not quite sure when you're really going to be completely out. So, um, but, you know, he said, he kind of echoed um, some of the same sentiments that I got from Michael. He said, he's just, I'm tired of this shit, and you, they, and you wouldn't believe it. I don't know how they expect me to put up with this for the rest of my life. This place takes all the life out of you. Um, anyway, it, it's just, it's, it's sad to hear. They're very discouraged right now, um, I'm hearing that across the board. As uh, Mo Foley, if you're talking to him, he's in transit. Um, right now he's in Oklahoma and he's on his way to Atlanta. And then um, I've had some messages from Chris Williams, and I'm I'm not sure if we've talked about this, but his halfway house um, situation has changed. A, he's going to Montana, but um, also the halfway houses in Montana are full, so they're not going to let him go to one till November 4th at this point. So that's been kind of a, a several double whammies on um, his case. And I know he's um, struggling with some of that and is really frustrated. I encourage everybody to go to his uh, webpage, freechriswilliams.com, um, and read some of his blogs and correspond with him there. If you're not corresponding with him any other way, I know that his advocate on that page makes sure he gets those messages. So. I highly encourage people to do that. And otherwise, just uh, make sure you write a prisoner. We got through the holidays. A lot of people remember to write them at Christmas, but we're um, we're going into that time where they get busy going out and playing in the sun and, and going to festivals and smoking our bowls. So while you're doing that, sit down and write somebody. That's all I got for today, Kristen. Yay! Well, um... I'm going to say, Mindy, on next Saturday, the Seattle Hemp Fest is having a party, and they're um, they're going to have some do, be doing a whole bunch of prison outreach. I believe they'll have some cards for some prisoners there at their party. So, um, if I will most likely 
99.999% chance I will be at that party. And they were trying to promote the party yesterday at the event, and it does sound so fun and so cool. Apparently, they moved their building. Um, they're just up the street from where they used to be, but where they're at now, they have this big, huge parking lot in the back. So the party is going to be behind their building, so it'll be really cool. So you can um, – There'll be some prison outreach going on there, so you're. They're right really good at doing that. Yeah, yeah I don't have festivals. Yeah. They're great about that. Um, oh, I also want to make sure um, to give a big shout out to CCHI and to say hey to Trip and Milan and thank you guys again for everything you do for us. Um, and Vegas Cannabis Magazine, there's um, you can get it at dispensaries here in Oregon now, so check it out. Oh, cool! I didn't know that. That's awesome. Yep, I've been getting them out there. Yeah, I got a big old stack of the Northwest Leaf. But yeah, we do also write for the Northwest Leaf as well. So check out the Northwest Leaf or the Oregon Leaf. Um, I got all my copies yesterday at their booth at the Canacon and talked with Wes a little bit about our, our, our column there. So I got some updates for you and Miggy. So I'll let you guys know behind the scenes what they what we talked about. But, yeah, awesome. I'm looking forward to that. For sure, for sure. <laughs> uh, so, uh, Eugene, oh, well, we got a new call. We got um, Terry Miller on the line um, coming up. Um, Terry, let's see here. She has an update about Jason. Good morning, Terry. Hello. How are you Hi. guys this morning? We're good. How are you? Oh, I'm hanging in there. Um I got to see my husband for the first time last Tuesday night in almost eight months for 15 minutes. Yeah, I drove eight hours each way, had to spend two nights in a hotel to see him, but they gave me 15 minutes as everyone else gets. That is kind of weird to me because almost every jail or prison I've ever heard of, when someone's traveling so far, they give a special visit. And not this jail. They don't give special visits. And no, I've anyway, never done that when I've done that either. When I've had to travel, they never do that. Really? I, and see, I've yeah. traveled to go visit my son who was in prison for seven years in Idaho, and they always gave me a special visit. And um, everybody Aww. that I've talked to, they were like, oh, you should be able to get a special visit. You should be able to get a special visit. And nope, I didn't get one. So Aww. anyway, um, we had I had a bond hearing that I was um, – uh, subpoenaed to to try to get his mom's bond money back because I actually posted the bond, you know, it was not my money. And we won. The prosecutor did not want to give us back that $10,000 at all. It was like, oh, my gosh, you think it was coming out of her own purse. That's how bad it was. But um, the judge ordered us $8,200 back of the original bond that I had posted on him. So, that helps his mom out a lot because she helps me out a lot. So I'm really happy and thankful for that. Um, and then <clears throat> right after the bond hearing was a the um, arraignment on the latest two charges that the prosecutor trumped up on Jason after being told in his um, pretrial conference last month that they ended up canceling that trial date, but they had the pretrial conference date. And after being told in that pre-trial conference date last month when Jason's lawyer didn't show up to the pre-trial because he didn't know there was one, um, they charged Jason with two more felony charges of interference with a peace officer from when he first went into custody 
they put him on Effexor, and Effexor's side effects can be very bad on people, especially people like Jason, who's been a medical marijuana patient in three different states and has medicated with medical marijuana for years. And they put him on this Effexor, and it didn't affect him well at all, and he should have never even been on it because one of the side effects uh, or one of the um, warnings on the drug is that you do not give it to anybody with a history of seizures or sodium deficiencies, which Jason had told the jail that he has seizures and sodium deficiencies. And they put him on it anyway. They were supposed to do a med check. It, I can't remember if it was 10 to 30 days after they put him on this, and they didn't. After over 60 days, Jason's mom finally researched the medication, sent in a letter saying Jason shouldn't even be on this medication, and they immediately took him off of it. But these charges came up around why he was on this medication. Well, because it didn't affect him well at all. Here in court the other day on the arraignment of these two charges, the judge asked Jason right from the start, Mr. Miller, are you under the influence of any drugs or alcohol this morning? And as surprised as the judge was, I as well was, Jason spews out, yes, sir, I am. I'm under the influence of Depakote and Gadapitin and started giving his, his list. And he goes, in your honor, these are not my medications. I am a medical marijuana patient. These charges wouldn't even be here if it wasn't for that. And he started to just, like, go on about it because he's very, very frustrated, you know. Well, they ordered a mental evaluation on him. So the judge recessed the case right then. They ordered a mental evaluation on him. And this is something that's going to come about a lot for Jason because Jason's not lying. Jason's standing up saying, I am the herbal soldier. I bring the medication to the people who need it, no matter what anybody else says, you know. And so it's going to be something that they're going to be looking at Jason as if he's crazy quite often, I think, because of who he is, you know. And um, But anyways, they sent this for this mental evaluation, and I'm being told now that will probably hold up our March court dates. Um, so I'm, we were a little bit... What did you say, March? March? Mar- Mar- yeah, March is our court dates, the 21st, 22nd, 23rd was our trial. And I'm being told now that this mental evaluation has been ordered, it can hold it up for several months. I am in the process of looking to see if there's like a private company that can go in and do the mental evaluation. But according to the Wyoming State Mental Hospital in Evanston, where they usually send the prisoners for this evaluation, um, that would be something that both the prosecutor and his attorney would have to agree to if we they were to allow another place to do the evaluation, which I can tell you the prosecutor is not going to allow that. Um, she came oh. up to me while I was talking to a reporter outside the courtroom afterwards the other day because... I don't know if I've ever mentioned this, but there was lies said by the prosecutor in court the very first day Jason went to court. The prosecutor told the court that Jason spread his feces all over the walls of the Jefferson County Jail in Colorado before he was brought to Wyoming. And it was not Jason. It was a prisoner two doors down or two cells down or whatever. And uh, since then, that was reported in the Sheridan newspaper. And his ex has put it all over Facebook. And it's not even true. And so I was trying to talk to the reporter because we've received um, documentation now from Jefferson County Jail 
because Jason uh, gave his mother power of attorney to get all this. So we got documentation now that says it wasn't Jason that did that. And so I was trying to talk to the reporter about it when I said, Miss Bennett, who is the prosecutor, uh, lied in court and said my husband's all over the wall in the Jefferson County Jail, and it wasn't true. And my mother-in-law now has a document that says it wasn't. And I want to know what we have to do to get this retracted, because I believe since I day one. Need to call, I, think you need, I think you need to call the the reporters or the the newspaper. That's and who I was they talking have to. to That's who I was talking to um, right outside oh. the courtroom was the reporter from the newspaper. When Miss Bennett was walking by, and I said, "In fact, we're thinking about slander suit on this Bennett." Well, she heard me say that to the reporter, and she came up and she got in my face and she said, "Excuse me, but I was told that by a woman, and it is on recording, and his lawyer can request who told me that at any time." And she goes, "You don't even," she goes, "You don't even know what your husband said about you in his phone dump file." Well, see, they got a. Uh, warrant on his phone in the beginning, the very beginning. And me and Jason had been separated during these six months before this. When he got arrested, we were separated. The day I bonded him out after he spent nine days in jail was the day we got back together. So I'm sure there's a lot of crap in that phone about me. You know, that's what men do when they're separated from their wives. And, you know, so I'm sure there was a lot. And she goes, you don't even know your husband. I said, I know him better than you do. And she was just really a mean, nasty woman after my heart because, of course, she listens to our calls every day. She knows where my insecurities lie and everything, and she knew exactly what to hit on. But my heart getting stronger and my mind getting stronger, and she didn't get there this time. So I was really glad that I could tell her I know him better than you do. So, well, anyway. Terry, we've got about we've got about two, three more calls on the line, and we only have about 19 more minutes left. So, um, I want to thank you for calling in. And where can we find the Herbal Soldiers? He has the Facebook wall. Jason Miller does it under the Herbal Soldier. Is there any That's other way? That's actually under my okay. page, Terry Worski Miller. And then I have the Herbal Soldier page built under my page. So, and, and also my phone number. 307-683-7177. Anybody can call me. In fact, Eugene, will you please call me? I really need you to talk to you. <laughs> Eugene. Okay. Are you there? That's um, a deal. I'll call. All right. Thank you okay. so much, and God bless you all. Okay? All right. Thank, Thank you. you. Love you. Thank you. Love you, too, Kristen. You guys all are right. awesome. Keep up the great work. Bye-bye. Thank you, Terry. Because that was Terry Miller, the wife of Jason Miller, also known as the Herbal Soldier. Um, check him out. Uh, we have a flyer. He's going to be going. We made a flyer for him because he's going to be going to trial soon. So check him out. And um, we have Miggy who wants to say a little something. He's been working hard up here in Washington in order for us to get a spot to get some letters signed at. And he's really excited, anxious about talking to us about it. Miggy, what is going on? Hey, so I forgot to mention that one of the things I'm trying to do is secure a spot for you and me to hang out at Uncle Ike's, one of the Seattle's, like, first uh, recreational dispensaries to get, you know, clemency letters signed for people locked up. Yay, I'm down. Let's do it. Let's get as many letters yeah. signed as possible. I know I saw I a picture be a good... on Facebook of the place, okay. and it looks pretty like a cool place to get to get letters signed at. 
Well, they're always busy, what too. About, I mean, if this... Huh? Go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, they're always busy, so what better place to get signatures than the place where people are buying recreational pot at? For sure. Uh, maybe. Maybe. You know, when you go with Christian, you'll be going with a celebrity. You know that. That's why I, I bring her with me. She's my, my, my pot celebrity that I can use as weight. Well, <laughs> <laughs> I think it's a great opportunity. Um, okay. It's a big statement. Uh, well, Mickey, you um, you were going to be coming to Canacon, but you weren't able to come at the last minute. But you organized the letters um, to be able to get to us. You you organized the letter system. So we had yeah. letters. So we, we had some letters to get signed. And Lance and his girlfriend sponsored them, but you made it possible. So I just want to especially thank you. We didn't get a lot signed, but we got a oh, good amount all- signed. Well, you know, you know my goal is to get them all filled out. For sure, for sure. Well, thank you for your efforts. I know our prisoners thank you, too. Right on. Uh, yeah, thank right. you. Well, <laughs> <laughs> is there anything else you want our listeners to know? No, just look for us, oh. hopefully at Uncle Ike soon. And, uh, you know, that would be a good place to make a difference. You know, just like talking with Debbie, how court support, letter support, or even people signing your name to a letter that you stand behind is going to be worth making a difference. So Miggy, when I was at um when I was at the Canacon yesterday, there's a lot of people that were like, Well, even even I even talked to one of our Washington attorneys, um, Aaron Pelly, and he said, Well, he should he said there's just no business. There's nobody getting raided right now. But coming up in July, when all these medical shops are gonna be shutting down, apparently um not just the attorneys, but everybody around is worried as to what's gonna happen after July. Have you heard anything about July? Yeah. Yeah, everybody, all the medical shops have put in for their licenses, uh, you know, and the thing is, it's all speculation. There is no amount of licenses already said to be given. Nothing's guaranteed. Uh, It's all unfortunate because it's all about Washington legislators just trying to get the most money out of the people that, you know, made something established from 1998, you know. What we had was beautiful, and now we're about to see something else. Yeah, so basically for our listeners, all of our medical stores um, that have been existing now for all these years, if they don't have a a recreational license and they don't switch over to the new system, which isn't likely that they will, they only have a certain amount of licenses and there's just so many caregivers out there in medical places right now, but not everybody's going to make it. So in July, we're going to have tons and tons. Yeah, yeah, we consider the black market is what they're calling them, and that's a horrible word to use against people who've been doing this business since it was a shady gray area anyways, you know. People are being hurt yeah. because of our, our recreational law, but hopefully the recreational people will step up and help the people that, you know, are in prison still, so. Yeah. All right, well, we'll see what happens in July. Hopefully we don't have a lot more to write about and a lot more defendants to talk about. But we'll be here if they are. Yeah. All right, well, have a nice day, Miggy. Thank you for calling in. All right, girl. All right, bye. Talk to you later, bye. All right, next we're going to talk to Tom Corby, and I have Tom listed as Tom Corby, the court support hero. And when I say Tom Corby, the court support hero, 
this this man is a is an older man, um, and he gets out there and he gets all the younger people involved in doing court support, letter writing. He's a big, huge inspiration. He is also the Human Solution Chapter Coordinator for Northern California Chapter. Um, and so we're going to be talking to Tom Corby right now, and he's going to give us the updated news in California. Good morning, Tom. Top of the day, all. And I want to thank everybody on the front lines to help us and provision, deschedule cannabis, <clears throat> And free all our POWs. No one should go to jail for our sacred plant. By the way, it's a uh, medicinal herb, in fact. Uh, you can join us at the humansolution.org. Help be the solution. Uh, also, want to thank CCHI <clears throat> Radio uh, for sponsoring the show. Uh, uh, you can go also go to their website and check out. Uh, we're getting uh, we need 600,000 signatures by <clears throat> April 20th. I think we've met half the goal. Uh, we're still collecting signatures up in NorCal. We also have uh, the two referendums going on Measure A. Uh, so we have three petitions going, and one is just here in Butte County that I mentioned last week. Uh, in uh, Northern California, I want to expound on Shelby Lucero, the farmer's daughter case. Uh, that's also Gus Sam. And uh, when couples go through these uh, these grueling uh, court cases and hearings, uh, we find that. We, they divide, and a lot of times couples actually divorce. Uh, Shelby and, and Gus are still friends. Uh, uh, they're, they're staying strong. Uh, can you believe that they went to their 32nd preliminary hearing this last Friday? Uh, I want to thank the court support that was there. She was so thankful. The, the, the hearing only lasted 45 minutes, uh, and somebody pointed out to spend all that time and every time just to continue it and go on to another hearing. Uh, <coughs> so she's going to, they're going on to, uh, there are 33, 33rd, excuse me, preliminary hearing. I got a frog in my throat uh, on March 18th, 9 a.m. And uh, at the hearing, Shelby had requested her PD. By the way, they both have PDs now. They went through several attorneys, and here we are back to just they're the same the PDs, and they're doing okay, but Shelby wanted to file about 18 motions. <laughs> And her attorney, attorney uh, uh, right here, uh, Josh Kirk, uh, said he wouldn't until uh, Shelby said, then, well, then she'll just have to take him on to the board. And so he's agreed to uh, 
file these motions, which will be heard on the 19th of March at 9 a.m. And that's 729th Street uh, in Sacramento County, California, Superior Court. And uh, court support, when we talk, and thank you, Christian, uh, when we talk about court support, uh, it's so important, and and it's not always so important. And a lot of times, uh, even Joseph Tully now, he's up in a trial, a couple trials up in El Dorado County, and uh, they they prefer not a lot of court support. So uh, we always go defendant and the lawyer wants. If they want to fill the courtroom, we'll try to do that. But what's important is even if one or two people are there, the right people that have some legal savvy can just help with uh, advocating with the defendants and the PDs, and that's what we do too. Uh, so uh, try to come for Shelby. Uh, we always point out that all court, all hearings, court support is important. And the local, if people, local people could come, uh, we try to say it like a 50-mile radius. Uh, uh, it's, it's so important. Also, when you come into those courtrooms, uh, you're, you're going to be bearing witnesses to the injustices that go on there, and it will blow you away. Uh, huh. There's no drama. There's no, it's just, it's just, uh, it's so sad. Uh, they just, they just run people through like sheep. They just bring them up on a cash register, continuance, continuance, fine. And, uh, uh, and then in Boone County, uh, uh, Alex Lyons said when he was in jail, they're even busting people up here now for just trimming. And they're just kids, and it's a shame. Uh, and I guess they're trying to build another $40 million prison here in Butte County. Uh, I guess what? this is the way they move for it. Yeah. So, wow. uh, yes. Now, the judge did say, uh, Judge uh, Thornburn, uh, I kind of like him. Uh, once again, he mentioned how uh, Lisa Gordon, her notes here, she was there with court support for Shelby's that uh, the DA really has minimal evidence, and the judge says. And then, I, I, like I brought out last week, that the judge, one of the judges said a couple of years ago, why am I still hearing this case? Uh, the point being is, what a waste of time and taxpayers' money and disrupting lives and family. So, uh, yes, uh, I want to thank everybody today. I, I don't want to, I could go on and on here. I also want to say uh, Jacob Macius, we've been going for his case, uh, had sentencing yesterday, uh, and he got a, uh, he just got probation. Uh, he gets his 215 rights. So, although our mindset is to never plea bargain, sometimes we just, we, we simply have to, to, uh, work our case out and take the best deal. And uh, uh, so congratulations to Jacob and Sarah Macius that they're free now. And, uh, okay. Uh, I'm, well, thank I, you, Tom. Uh, thank you, Christian. And, uh, and don't forget to breathe all. have a nice day. Thank you, Tom. <laughs> <laughs> All right, you guys, that was a Human Solution Chapter Coordinator for Northern California calling into our show representing 
the human solution and the court court support that's going on in up in Northern California. We only have about five minutes left, but we have a guest, Mark Nickerson, who just recently got his charges dropped. Uh, he was going to be on at 10:15, but he just got on, so I want to make sure we get Martin on. Um, he just recently had his charges dropped after facing four years of trials and tribulations regarding his case, um, and now he has a tax case. Uh, where he's facing uh, the federal government wants to, him to pay taxes on on cannabis. What, what's up with that, um, Martin? Oh, uh, <laughs> it's uh, <laughs> it's quite the quite the rodeo show. But uh, yeah, I've been dealing with the. It feels to start out with. It feels really good um, to not have the charges uh, lingering. Uh, so I do having great times. I'm uh, with the family right now. Nice. We've been having a great time. <clears throat> so yeah, we've been um, just enjoying life and moving on with life. Um, been very right. busy. Um, I moved back to my hometown, um, and and I have left Washington. So you are in Oregon now. And I am in Oregon, but still fighting the fight <laughs> um, on the tax case that we have going here. And the tax case, moving on to the tax case, the tax case is uh, uh, circulating a lot of uh, movement in the medical marijuana uh, community at this point because I personally believe it's one of the strongest going. They, uh, you know, this was never something that I intended to pursue or have anything to do with, but for some reason, uh, our state, and this is not our federal government, our state government, uh, our Department of uh, Department of Revenue um, is saying that we need to tax uh, medical cannabis uh, under such and such right. There is no right. They have no legislation uh, to tax medical cannabis. Um, I don't know where this came from, but they were sending me bills all the way up to like $11.9 million. And just, it's just laughable. Um, wow. At the end of the day, it, it is a lot of, uh, of, of stress, but I think it's almost as stressful for them now because we've taken this so far because they know that we know that they've done wrong. And uh, we've went to the last time I was in court. Um, I kind of update you guys on the tax case on when I was in court the last time. It's been a while, but the last time I was in there, there's some good questions that were raised. You know, to the revenue department. Well, this so-called money um, that there's no legislation for. The judge asked a good question: Where, where did the money? Where is the money? Where is it going? You know, uh, right. and at the same time, it really sucks when you have, you know, and, and you have the Department of Revenue coming to your establishment, bringing tax warrants, um, saying that they're going to come in and seize everything that you have and uh, telling your employees at the front desk that if they continue to work for you, that they're going to. Um, get class D felonies for uh, helping 
run the establishment there at Northern Cross. So they came up and they tapped, uh, taped, uh, tax warrants up to the front of the store. That was like the last thing that they did. The tax warrants are still up on the front of the store down in Bellingham still. Um, even though the shop's closed, I just left them up there. Um, nice. and, and, but I, I just, I think they know that we know that they don't have any legislation, any law, anything whatsoever to be basing these standing incredible bills um, to us as medical patients. When again, we can't. There's there is no taxation on on medical marijuana. There's no legislation on this. So what they're pulling out of wherever is just crazy. So um, I believe that we have a, a really good case. Uh, my new lawyer, Linnell Nesbaum, uh, an appellate attorney, uh, believes in the case. So I hope that we could get all the patients to rally around this case. And, and when really is your next court case? Uh, we are still waiting. Um, I'm still waiting okay. to hear back uh, on the court date. Uh, they've filed. They've just been done. They just finished writing the rest of their briefs and filed them. So I should hear any day what my next court date is going to be for the tax case, which is going to be very exciting. Okay. You know, I'm okay, excited well, let us for know. the tax let case. Know because I will, I'll be able to start sharing it around, and our people can start getting the information out there because as soon as yeah, people know, it's, it's you know. Now, this is down in Thurston County that this case is going to be being yes, heard in, right? Yes, it has. it's been moved down to Thurston County at this point. But now that it's, I believe it's going to be moved out of Thurston County at this point. Okay, moves, where, do, uh, where do you think uh, Thurston I, I might be wrong. I don't, I'm not sure. Okay. I'm not okay. even sure if it's going to be heard in this state anymore. Okay, okay. I have another question for you, Martin. How is your co-defendants, uh, Chris Ramsey and Poppy Sidhu, doing with their, with their newfound they're, freedom? They're, as far as I uh, have heard, uh, we're all kind of doing our own thing, you know. But when I do <laughs> yeah. talk to them briefly, when I do talk to them briefly, they seem to be doing well. So um, I don't okay. want to speak too much for them, but I've heard um, yeah. uh, just briefly that everybody's doing well and, and very excited cool. that they've got their cases brought. So cool, cool, cool. Very happy. Well, Martin. Um, is there anything else you want us to know um, before we, we end the show? Um, just everybody stay united and um, just remember I, I never give thing, up. I think one thing, Martin, is that, that we should make clear to our listeners is that you fought this, this case in Bellingham for over four years. And one thing, you know, we have all of our people that go to prison and a lot of snitching going on out there. Almost every case has snitches. That's what they did not have in your case. Because you there guys you did go. stand that's, together. That's something I want to do. Hang out with snitches because I, I mean, you got, and even if you know that somebody's a snitch, don't hang out with them because that makes you bad too. Right. Right. And, no. you know, Martin, I I think that that's probably there. why your case got dropped is because you guys weren't snitching and that's, uh, they weren't able exactly. to use each other all against each other. Exactly. So, so everybody. Quit that snitching shit. Yep, you are an example of no snitching. That is so cool. I'm so glad your your freedom your freedom now is um, it, freedom in your future, yeah. and hopefully your I'm tax case will bring you freedom as well. I love it. I uh, yeah, I can go enjoy life and I can 
talk freely and not worry about jail time um, over my head. So I'm, I'm very excited. As a matter of fact, For I'm, sure, taking yeah. the kids, I'm taking the kids to the zoo right now. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. Well, yep. thank you, Martin, for calling into our show today. And you are always welcome to call us anytime you want to talk about your tax case or any other case you want to talk about. You awesome. are pleased, and we'll thank get you, you on. Thank you very much. We've been getting good listens, so um, your your voice can be heard by many. Thank you. Thank you. Have thank a great you. day. Thank you. thank you. You too, Martin. Congratulations. Bye. bye. All right, bye. All right, Eugene, before we close the show, is there anything that you wanted to say? Eugene, are you there? Uh, yes. Um, Is there... Really, uh, it's just been a good show. Uh, happy to have been part of it again this week. Well, you guys, we're going to say some goodbyes. And we just first, before we say goodbye, we want to thank PCHI for giving this platform for us to be able to use our voices at. Um, we also want to thank all of our volunteers and, of course, all of our listeners um, and all of our uh, all of our defendants and our prisoners and our experts and our activists and everybody who comes on our show to make these voices possible, especially Craig Cecil, who risks the most by coming on our show. He risks going on lockdown. So once again, you got to hear Craig Cecil, and we just want to say help us end prohibition. Why? Because it's Sunday and because we don't want anybody else to die in prison for a plant. And we want all of our plant prisoners to be able to rest in peace, like my father, Richard Floor, who I do still believe is here with us all the time, helping us fight from from the other side. Now, I don't want him to fight no more. I want him to be able to rest in peace. So we have to end prohibition so that my dad can rest in peace, so that Gary Shepard and Mary Jane Jones can rest in peace, who were shot down by the federal government 21 years ago over a raid, over some plants. Gary was just protecting this plant. Now he's gone, and he's got his, his son and his niece, Stacy driving the cannabis all around the nation trying to end the war. We've got to end the war for that family. Also, we got to, we got to say rest in peace to Jack Hare today, who and it helps us to this day end the war, because before he left, he fought so hard and un, unrevealed all the things against the government that they do to us against the plant. It's all written in a book called The Emperor Wears No Clothes. So if you want to find out, get educated, get the book. It's important. We also want to say to Peter McWilliams, who also left us with for our plant and died for our plant, and he left us with motivational books, one about death that I used to help me get through my own father's death. So there are resources here for us. We just have to reach out and, and get them. We also want to say rest in peace to Bill Lamorte, who was a friend of Eugene's, who's serving a life sentence for our plant. Um, Bill would not be remembered if it wasn't for Eugene. Eugene said that he was grabbing his heart in the uh, in in the on the in the yard on Fourth of July, and he died from a major heart attack. Um, that's made it hard for Eugene to even be able to celebrate the Fourth of July. So, um, rest in peace, Bill Lamorte. You're you're always remembered on our show. We also want to say rest in peace to Larry Harvey, who spent time in D.C. while his whole family was facing plant charges, trying to advocate to help change federal laws. We died of cancer, so he's not with us. We also want to say rest in peace to D. Young, who died of cancer. He gave us Adam, and we Adam is a big, big hero to our prisoners as he helped get letters and helped get the word out for them and helping us build a website. So, you know, good things come from bad situations. We also want to say rest in peace to Curtis Cecil, whose father called in today. Curtis died right in the middle of this war, um, lonely without his dad. So we really need to end prohibition. 
No other children have to die because they don't have their parents. Also, I want to say rest in peace to Spencer Coptis and Cassie Hyde, who are two little children who had brain tumors, and they were going to the caregivers, and the caregivers were curing their brain tumors from the plant. The plant was curing their, their cancer. Well, the caregivers got raided, and Cashy and Spencer's parents didn't have access to the medicine like they did before the raid, and both the little boys' um, cancers grew out of control, and they passed away in our war. And so we want to say rest in peace to our young children. Um, also, Bernardo Fumo Martinez, who was a warrior to the heart, to the world, who was trying to let the whole world know what the United States of America is doing to our people through videos. Um, Fumo also died of cancer. We also rest in peace to Eugene and George's friend from prison, Oscar, who went to FBI in the sky. And we want to just end prohibition so nobody else has to die in prison or even die for a plant, period. And thank you for listening to our show today. And if you would like to listen to more shows, please send me a message and I'll send you some links. Um, I'm going to play my favorite song that I like to play at the end of all of our shows. And again, thank you guys for listening to the voices of the Cannabis War. for war. 
they kids education is ruined more Funds spent for spy killing drones While CNN and Patriot commercials breed human drones from home Recording scripted terrorist training in places you can't visit So the real plan of extinction you don't get it. The country surrounding Israel, the holy land is now being in W.O. committed. The war is still super through the mind, the actions is how they get it. Or should I say the strap? They say it's oil, but it's deeper than that. It's just more smoke to the mirror, so I radiate more hope clearer. Shed tears for my peers, the judgment day gets nearer. So I exercise mightier than the sword. Use the pen to paint the lines with conscious mind the world can explore. So maybe you can find out why they bring us to war. Some of the most powerful things the thought that has made of men. Some of the most cowardly shit that's ever known to Respect, loyalty, honor, love has all disappeared. And been replaced with gunshots, body bags, cannibalism amongst our peers. You should we murder by disagreement, then we shake hands with our enemies. We shake hands with our enemies and murder by disagreement. We put them without a pedestal with some sort of achievement. Being a man is not based on people you shot or how poor you get a fight. Being a man is one who's able to feed his family when times are tight. We are in a recession, suffering with depression, so lower your Bibles and load your weapons. How many times must we pray before we start losing our blessings? How many loved ones must we lose before we taught ourselves a lesson? Reach one, each one, teach one, empower them.